This is Science Friday. I'm Kathleen Davis. And I'm Maddie Sofia. Just a few months into the pandemic, it became clear that the SARS-CoV-2 virus was causing a cascade of symptoms that last months after initial infections, what we call long COVID. And as long as the pandemic barrels on, the population of long COVID patients will continue to grow. Now, there's a mountain of research about long COVID, seeking to better understand its underlying causes and mechanisms and to improve treatment. Joining me now to give us an update on the latest long COVID research are my guests, Hannah Davis, co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative based in New York City, and co-author of a recently published review on the state of long COVID research. And Dr. Bupesh Prusti, Principal Investigator at the Institute for Virology and Immunobiology at the University of Würzburg in Germany. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, Hannah, I think we should start off by saying that even, you know, fairly mild cases of COVID can lead to long COVID. This idea that people only develop long COVID if they get really sick is a misconception, right? Absolutely. And can, can you talk to me a little bit more about that and like, you know, how many people around the world have long COVID in general? I know that's, you know, kind of difficult to estimate. It seems like there is a minimum of 65 million people worldwide with long COVID, given the amount of infections that have been confirmed, but also the amount of infections that have gone unconfirmed due to lack of testing. It is a serious number, and the majority of these cases happened after mild acute cases. Right. Where did this idea that only people that got, you know, hospitalized got long COVID, where did that come from? I think that there have been a lot of misframed narratives over the course of the pandemic, and that is a serious one that really got traction, even though there was never really any truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the case that if you are hospitalized, your odds of getting long COVID are much higher. But because hospitalized patients are such a small fraction of infections, um, the majority of, of long COVID happens after a mild infection. Dr. Prusty, let's talk about a disease that can occur after viral infections, often called ME-CFS or myalgic encephalomyelitis, chronic fatigue syndrome. You've been studying it for years prior to the pandemic, and now you're studying long COVID as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about how those illnesses are, are similar or overlapping? I believe that uh, without knowing ME-CFS, we possibly cannot know long COVID. In this regard, um, we are in a unique position as we are studying both the diseases in parallel. And there are only a handful number of places where this type of parallel studies are going on. And I think this is the key to success. What we have been doing in the past is to understand the uh, development process of MECFS. And MECFS is believed uh, to be a post-viral illness and is also believed to be a mitochondrial disease. And after the pandemic, we got the opportunity to prove this hypothesis that MECFS-like conditions can also arise after a viral infection. So here, the SARS-CoV-2 infection. Right. And so the, there are a set of symptoms that are very similar, uh, you know, that, that, that long COVID can cause MECFS. Can you talk to me about a few of those? So it's not very clear that... Um, if every patient or long COVID patient will develop into ME-CFS. So certainly there are 
small subgroup of uh, long COVID patients, they develop MECFS. The common symptoms between MECFS and long COVID include the namesake fatigue, but this is not the whole story. Uh, patients have neurological issues, including brain fog. The interesting thing is that not every patient has all the clinical features that we talked about. Some patients have different uh, symptoms. Right. And you know, one thing that struck me, Hannah, when I was reading your paper is just how long COVID can affect, you know, almost any part of the body. So many different systems and organs, you know, the heart, the lungs, the gut, the immune system, the reproductive system, neurological symptoms. I mean, how does long COVID have the capacity to affect so many different parts of the body? That's a great question. I think you know, our, our whole society really thinks of the body as separated parts. You know, the mm-hmm. brain is different from the heart, is different from the nerves, et cetera. But really, that's that's kind of a misunderstanding. Everything is connected to everything else. And when you have something like long COVID that seems to have a pretty significant um, endothelial dysfunction, for example, meaning that it affects the blood vessels, you're going to get symptoms and and pathologies across many different organ systems. So it's not unrelated, actually. It's related to an underlying systemic pathophysiology. Right. Anytime you get the blood vessels involved, you're in trouble, kind of, you know? Absolutely. Okay. So we, we have a pretty good idea of what parts of the body long COVID affects, but less of an idea of kind of the underlying causes, right? Dr. Prusty, researchers like you around the world are trying to get a better understanding of the underlying mechanisms of of long COVID. What's your hypothesis? I mean, when we talk about hypothesis, there are many hypotheses in the market. And possibly, in my opinion, all hypotheses are correct. But then the question is how to thread them all together giving a meaningful explanation for the development of this disease. The most important or most widely discussed hypothesis are the presence of a persistent virus causing multisystem damage. But our hypothesis is a little bit uh, different. We believe that it is not the SARS-CoV-2, which is directly responsible for the disease. We believe that other latent viruses like herpes viruses they are um, reactivated after the SARS-CoV-2 infection. So SARS-CoV-2 infection is the first hit. And afterwards, we get this reactivation of these viruses, which are key players, and they cause widespread mitochondrial abnormalities, including changes in uh, metabolism and energy levels. These herpes viruses proteins, they are similar to many of our host proteins. So they, they act like uh, our own protein, and they control secondary clinical features like autoantibodies, endothelial dysfunction, the microplots, allergy, overlapping symptoms with other clinical conditions. So many uh, different uh, conditions can be explained. Uh, Clearly, there is inadequate information available at this moment, so we need to understand it better and develop uh, more innovative strategies to tackle the issue. So let me see if I've got this. So I think a lot of times we think of viruses like, you know, let's say you get mono in college, right? Epstein-Barr. You get that, you heal from it, and you're done with it. But that's that's not the case, right? These viruses can hang out in our cells, in our body. And then something like, you know, SARS-CoV-2 comes along and it kind of re-wakes it up and causes, you know, another cascade of different symptoms. So these viruses are kind of hanging out um, and then another virus can activate them. Is that about right? Yes, exactly. 
you know, I, I understand that this area of research, like, you know, chronic illnesses in general, have, you know, been understudied. I think it's fair to say, has the pandemic and the arrival of long COVID brought more attention to your work, Dr. Percy? I mean, uh, one benefit from the pandemic is that um, patients, clinicians, and basic science researchers are now much more in touch with each other now than before. And the knowledge base of long COVID is bringing more and more researchers and innovative tools into the field, which is really good. Right. Let's. I mean, let's talk about, you know, some of the opportunities ahead of us. Let's talk about, you know, potentially treatments for long COVID. Uh, rest might actually be the most important, right, Hannah? I mean, talk to me a little bit more about that. I think that's something that the public needs to know about, which is that rest in the early weeks after the acute infection may be able to prevent long COVID. Um, We absolutely need more research into this, but it seems very promising. And the reverse is also true that people who, you know, rest for three or four days after COVID and then try to get right back into their exercise routine often find themselves bed bound for a year, two years, et cetera. We need to understand why that's the case so that we can do further understanding into what's happening. But more important than rest, we really we, we need widespread clinical trials, both for um, drugs that can be repurposed for long COVID and um, drugs to develop for long COVID. And those drugs need to all be based on the hypotheses of people who have been working in the field of ME-CFS for years because this is just not at all a a simple disease. This is a really complex multisystemic illness um, and we need experts who understand it at the forefront of this research. Yeah. Can I, can I talk to you a little bit about the research, Hannah? I mean, we know that racial and ethnic minorities disproportionately get COVID because of where they work, you know, how much time uh, you can take off. And, and we're seeing those disparities in long COVID as well. Do you see this being addressed in, in research and treatment? Do you see patient-centered and focused, you know, research in that area? For the most part, not yet. There's still a lot of research done without patient involvement. There's still absolutely no support systems for people with long COVID, financial support, even clinical support. The experts who do know about these conditions, you know, number in the the dozens in, in the U.S. at least. And the wait lists for all of them are, you know, nine to 12 months, if not longer. Um, so right now, yes, all patients are are generally being left to kind of flounder and do what they can on their own. But I don't think it is understood how urgent this problem is and how many resources need to be directed toward it. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. I I want to ask you about something I read lately, some new research suggesting that getting reinfected with COVID increases your chance of developing long COVID. Dr. Percy, are you familiar with that? Do you know why, you know, that might be the case? I mean, we can always um, argue if our hypothesis is again uh, correct, then the more frequently you uh, get infected with the COVID infection, the chances of reactivation of these herpes viruses are more and more. So it's not it's nothing to do with the, the number of uh, the reputation of the infections, rather the possibility of reactivation, the chances of reactivation um, are even higher. But um, definitely, we need more research into this process. Dr. Percy, let's turn to identification. You're you're working on biomarkers to identify 
two different subsets of long COVID patients. And biomarkers are just, you know, tests we can run or things we can find in the body to determine if a disease is present. Now, one of these groups are people that just might take extra time to recover from that initial infection and get better after about two months. And the other group are those with symptoms that are much more debilitating and remain for months and months, six months, a year or more. Why is it so important to differentiate between these two groups? So the whole idea of uh, long COVID and its similarity to ME-CFS lies here. So um, typically, ME-CFS is a disease where patients, they start the symptoms and over a period of time, like uh, from several months to several years, they just pass on to a stage where it seems that there is no coming back. Yeah. So this is typically the ME-CFS. Long COVID is still very fresh, very new. We are only knowing it from last two to three years. So we still do not know exactly uh, if the long COVID patient will have the similar fate like MECFS. But we clearly know that a group of uh, long COVID patients or so-called long COVID patients, they revert back. They come back to normalcy. And we have seen with MECFS also that a large number of patients also return back to uh, normal um, living conditions. So we believe that there is a sort of a switch in our body and the switch is made on at certain point of time where there is uh, not easy coming back. And we want to identify this switch. So basically, so what we hypothesize here is that, that our body's response system, we call it as a cell danger response system. Every cell knows that there is a danger coming and the body knows how to switch on and switch off this system. Now, at one point of time in MECFS patients, we know that the system is switched on and it is not made off. So the body always responds to a threat or infection-like condition going on in the body. And that, that's what dif differentiate the uh, patients with long-lasting symptoms and the patients who recover. And there is the key which uh, revolves around the mitochondria, how mitochondria coordinates with other uh, cells. And our core focus of our work is to understand the entire process around here. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Hannah Davis, co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative, and Dr. Bupesh Prusti, molecular virologist at the University of Würzburg in Germany. This is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Before we let you go, I, I, I want to ask you both, you know, what needs to happen? Obviously, a lot of our long COVID problems would be solved if we had adequate COVID prevention, equitable access to healthcare and rest. But what can medical professionals be doing right now? Uh, Dr. Prusty, why don't you start us off? The problem cannot be solved at the ground level with the general practitioners because the disease is so complex, it involves uh, multi-system issues. There has to be centers which uh, can handle this type of patients. Hannah, what do you think? I mean, do you think there's a role for general practitioners here? Um, I would agree with Dr. Prusty. I really think that one of the things we're facing um, is this just serious lack of both provider and researcher education into post-viral illnesses. Um, I mean, there's not a lot of research on it, but a study done a couple of years ago showed only 6% of med schools actually teach these illnesses. And that has translated into really awful care for patients and also 
yes, research where people are kind of starting absolutely from scratch and not building off um, the the massive amount of research done in myalgic encephalomyelitis and dysautonomia. So I would say that kind of a, a mass provider and researcher education program needs to happen. You know, one thing we took away from our review is that there's just so much research that's out there. We keep hearing there's not enough research in long COVID and MECFS, but we had 300 studies that we had to pare down to the 200 studies that ended up in the review. Um, all biomedical findings, all consistent with work that's been done before in this field across, you know, many different things like deformed red blood cells, reactivated herpes viruses, neuroinflammation, et cetera. And we just need everyone to kind of get up to speed on these things. Thanks to both of you for being on Science Friday. Thank you. Thank you. Hannah Davis, co-founder of the Patient-Led Research Collaborative based in New York City and co-author of a recently published review on the state of long COVID research. And Dr. Bupesh Prusti, principal investigator at the Institute for Virology and Immunobiology at the University of Würzburg in Germany.